Bet you didn't know that joy and sadness and bing bong had something to do with John 11, okay? But that's where we're at tonight. Anybody never seen that movie before in the room? All right, your homework this week, read John 11, watch Inside Out the movie, okay? We'll get there. Um, hey, the, our theme for the whole year is awake, the word awake. Uh, that was the beginning series that I preached through. Um, so here's just a little plug for that because now we're in these I am statements of Jesus. Um, but the whole idea of this awake being our theme was having eyes open to what God is doing. And just to, to agree with what Phil was saying up here earlier, if you aren't watching, if you aren't seeing with your own eyeballs what God's doing in our community right now, you're missing out. Like the fruit of this is fun. Watching people's lives be surrendered over to Christ is pretty sweet, okay? You have a chance to see that tonight, to hear their words, not just my words about it, but their words directly about what God is doing inside of them right now. So, man, open your eyes, because it'll be an encouragement to you. I promise it's more, uh, it's more important than whatever you had planned, okay? Don't tell your teacher I said that if you have homework planned tonight. Okay, on to I am statements of Jesus. We've talked about, uh, way back, we talked about John the Baptist's I am not statements. We've talked about um, Jesus being the bread of life and the light of the world. Last week, we talked about him being the good shepherd. That's who Jesus is. All of these things are God wanting to peel the door open and show himself to us. Like, I need you to hear that. This is the God of the universe saying, I'm not hiding from you. This is who I am. Know me. Reach out and touch me. Understand who I am, my character. I'm not playing hide and seek with you. We feel like he's ethereal and other and out there. It's like Jesus himself with skin on is God in the flesh saying, you can look at me, you can look at who I am, how I act, and you can learn a little bit, not just about the Father, but you in the midst of that too. And tonight, we look at Jesus' statement where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This comes in John 11. And resurrection is a big deal. I don't, like, I preach on it at least yearly. Like, it makes its way into my teaching plan at least yearly because it's such a core element of the Christian faith. Um, Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says it this strongly. He says, if the resurrection isn't real, in other words, if you're not going to accept Christ's resurrection, he tells the church at Corinth, then my preaching is useless and so is your faith. That's how hinge critical, okay, that, that Paul saw the resurrection. Why? Why do we put such a big, uh, so much, I don't know, energy, I, like this idea being right? How could... How could Paul say that? If this isn't true, then my teaching is useless and so is your faith. Well, because that's the hinge point on whether or not the end of our lives is a brick wall, boom, you're done, existence is gone, or it's a doorway. It's a tunnel into something else. That's the difference between resurrection being true or not being true. And Jesus was very clear about the way that he felt about it. John 14, he says, I'm going somewhere else. Like, I'm walking through the door. I'm going to die. I'm walking through the door. I will be resurrected. There's, there's something else that's going to happen here. And you know what else he says? I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. You're going to be resurrected. And Jesus in that, I, let me give you the exact verse. It's John 14, 3. He says he's going there to prepare a place for us, and he specifically says there that where I am, you may also be. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. You can be with me. It's not a brick wall. It's a door. You get to enter it with me. Resurrection is this space where it's like we, looked at, we look at this life, and we're like, it's not just about this life. It's about eternity. God is doing something with eternity in the midst. Jesus knows all about it. He's trying to tell us about it. And in this story, he unpacks it for us. But the story's long, you guys. And there's, there's a bunch of, oh, there's 30 sermons to preach tonight, okay? And I'm only going to focus on two words. But the story that we get led into where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, I want you to hear. I'm going to sum up the first few verses, though. First 16 verses of this from John 11. Um, Jesus, three of his closest friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, are in Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem. Okay, and Lazarus is really sick. Jesus gets word that Lazarus is really sick, but Jesus doesn't go there right away. Even though he gets word that Lazarus is really ill, he stays where he's at for a while. Okay, and during that time, Lazarus dies. 
And Jesus knows this, and he tells his disciples this. Hey, Lazarus has fallen asleep. These are the words that, that Jesus uses specifically. He says in John eleven fourteen to the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So we know in this story, and I need you to hear this up front. This is important foreshadowing. You with me? This is part of your lit class, okay? Important foreshadowing in the story. Jesus knows he's going there to resurrect Lazarus. Spoiler, okay? He knows, he tells the disciples that's the purpose of them going there. And we kick off here in John 11, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So that's when Jesus shows up on the scene. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. So, just to make sure you're with me in this, Martha goes out to meet, to meet Jesus before he gets to the house. But Mary remained seated in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And the story goes on. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to meet him. So Martha goes back home. Mary goes out to meet Jesus. When she heard it, she rose quickly. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, and this will sound familiar to you because Martha just said the same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Then we hit John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Man, that's a story. Is it not? So much in this story. I told you, 30 sermons worth. Easy in this. I could teach all year on this story. Easy. And so could you, right? So many sermons in this just... I've always wondered, because I'm fascinated by this, what Lazarus' second funeral was like. You ever think about that? They mourned this guy. He was four days dead at this point. At some point, they all sat around again. I mean, it had to be like, there's a, there's a sense of joy and pain that's held together in a funeral, in a good funeral, you know, where you're celebrating someone's life and you love them, but you're also like this bittersweet thing of also, I did not want this to happen. Like there's, there's this weird mix in you at that time. I can't imagine at Lazarus's second funeral what that was like to be like, Remember when we did this before? <laughs> like, we all shared all these same things already the last time that we were here. Notice in this, in this, again, these aren't sermons I'm preaching tonight. Notice the confession of Martha. Did you hear that in there? When we do a baptism, we use Peter's confession, which I think is Matthew 16, 16. 
He says, Jesus said, who do you think I am? And Peter says to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus like, that's right, you nailed it. Martha says the exact same thing in this story. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, the Messiah who's come into the world. She speaks it out loud. We hear Martha's confession. That's a sermon in here. Did you notice that multiple people, this is something that struck me too about this story. Multiple people, the the crowd that was there and Martha and Mary all basically say, if you had been here, things would have been different, could have been different. Why don't they think he can do it now? Like there's a finality in their minds with death. They've seen Jesus heal lepers. They've seen Jesus heal paralyzed people. But there's something about death that they're like, "Even, even you. Jesus, even you don't have power over this. This is something different. Okay, multiple people in this story. Death was a different kind of line for them. That's, ugh, there's lots to notice in this story. Did you notice the frustration of the sisters? The tone that they're talking to Jesus, if you had been here. Why didn't you make it a priority? Where were you, Jesus, when he was dying? You're our friend. You're his friend. Why didn't you show up? Do you resonate with that? God, where were you? Where were you, God? Why did you choose to be distant or absent in that moment of pain? I don't understand. Don't understand you. I don't understand your character. You say that you love me. Why wouldn't you be close to me? The one thing, though, of all the stuff, and I could keep going. There's so much to notice in this story. I want you to notice John 11.35. Easiest memory verse in the Bible, okay? You want to memorize a verse this week? You got it. John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Two words. There's a lot of theology packed in those two words, you guys. Process for just a second. Jesus wept. Not teared up. He ugly cried, you guys, with the other people there who were deeply sad. Why? Why? He knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why? Like that's, there's a big why in this passage. Why does Jesus weep? And did you notice just the fact that Jesus did? Are you comfortable with the fact that Jesus is emotional here? In our culture, we treat the word emotional. It's got some baggage. We treat it like the word irrational. We use those words synonymous. Oh, you made that decision emotionally. You can't use emotions when you make decisions. That's what logic is for. Good luck, okay? Trying to separate those that cleanly. What do you do if that's the way that you think with a God who is emotional? With a God who's emotional in his perfection. He's not irrational. Don't get me wrong. Don't misquote me on this one, okay? I don't believe like that God's just doing all these things because he's out of control emotionally in heaven. That's not the way that we picture him. But what does it mean to have a perfect, just, loving, emotional God? You say, Ben, prove it. Okay, I'll prove it. First John 4, 8, God loves. Proverbs six sixteen. he hates evil. Exodus 20, verse 5, he's a jealous God. Zephaniah 3.17, he feels joy. Genesis 6.6, he feels grief. Psalm 135, he feels compassion, deep compassion. Psalm 2.4, you guys, God has a sense of humor. He laughs. I'm picturing that as pretty boomy, you know? Like, I don't picture that as annoying. (laughs) Like, God feels deep emotion, and you are made in his image, so your emotions, the stuff that you feel, the stuff that you experience, John eleven thirty five 35 gives us permission, you guys, to feel like our Heavenly Father feels. Not to take those things into sin. We certainly can. In your anger, do not sin, we're told, right? So it's not necessarily a sin to be angry, but it is a sin to let that take us into places that it doesn't, it's not, not, wasn't designed to go, that we're not supposed to take it to. But what does it mean that God is emotional, that we're wired like he is? And that we see Jesus' deep grief. Now, here's the thing I really want you to zero in on tonight. Um, In this moment, Jesus is feeling deep grief, sorrow, while the resurrection is right there. The grief and joy he's holding in the same hands at the same time. We think of those as opposed to each other. Mutually exclusive. Something about this text gives us a different perspective, and I want to ask you to consider that perspective tonight. It teaches us something about God. 
but it also teaches us something about us and how we process the world. Um, and I don't think we talk enough about this. I don't think we talk enough about the fact that Scripture talks, doesn't talk about the, that we are rescued from pain. It talks about us having a God who is with us in our pain. Hebrews 4.15, that we have a, a high priest who can sympathize with us because he's been in it. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. This isn't the only time we see him weeping. We see him weeping over Jerusalem. We see him frustrated and angry, especially, I talked about this last week, when vulnerable people are being taken advantage of. We see Jesus' anger flare in a righteous way. He feels all these things deeply, and he feels them at the same time. That's what makes it crazy. Literally, as I was prepping this sermon, you guys, I was thinking about our campus. I I was sitting in my office, and I could listen. I could listen to the rally that they were having across the street for Jelani Day. I could hear it from my office. I could listen to a mom grieving her son as I'm writing this text. And you know what else is happening on campus? People are falling in love. People are feeling, like on our campus right now, there is pain and there is difficulty and there's grief and there's sorrow and there's joy and there's love and there's celebration. And you guys, it's all mixed together in this community that you are. But that's not just true of us as a community. It's true of us as a person. That's true of me today and probably you. I'm a mess of grief and happiness and joy and celebration and frustration and anxiety And I have to hold these things out to the Lord and say, God, help me make sense of all of this stuff. (laughs) Help me make sense of this. And he does. It's who he is. So my question tonight is, how do we hold grief? We don't talk about this a lot as a body. How do we hold grief and joy at the same time? And the cool thing is, you guys, I know people who know more than I do that I get to ask these kinds of questions And I asked one of these people to come in tonight because she knows way more about this than I do. And her name's Tanya. Tanya, would you come on up now? And you guys, can you welcome her up here? Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate so deeply you joining us tonight. That's set for you. Here you go. Mm hmm. All right, Tanya, let me see if I've got this right. You are Tanya Bassett. L-C-S-W-C-A-D-C-C-T-T. That's correct. Okay. Which, A-B-C-D. Which, <laughs> I also got F-O-J, follower of Jesus, down here on my yes, sheet, too. Yes, for sure. Um, but licensed clinical social worker, yes. certified alcohol and other drug abuse counselor, Yes. certified trauma therapist. Yes, that's me. Okay. So th- here's question number one. All right. So your specialty is trauma. Yeah. Um, helping people walk through the darkest stuff that that a human being can walk through and unpack that on the other side. And you attach to that um, addiction. So it wasn't enough for you to deal with trauma. You thought you'd you'd also throw addiction on it Right, (laughs) right. Well, usually under all addiction is trauma. So Mm -hmm. I knew to appropriately treat addiction, I needed to understand what happened underneath that. So what takes you there? I mean, this is a hard... hard, uh, calling. Yeah, it is. Um, Well, I I grew up in a small farming community of 350 people, and my mom and dad were um, strong believers in Jesus, and people came to them. People came to them when they were in grief and overwhelm um, and really struggling, and so I watched my mom and dad reach out and minister to other people, Mm. and uh, so my heart just started to go in that direction. Um, And then when I was 10 years old, um, my brothers, they were both older than me. Um, They were on their way to the field after school one day to help with harvest. And on the way to the field, um, my older brother who was driving lost control of the van and flipped the van several times. And my younger brother um, flew out of the van and lived for 10 days and then he passed away. So at 10 years old, I ex- experienced my first grief. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Did you have any idea? I mean, was, the, was there a sense in your life at that age that that put you on this track? Or was that not realized until way later in your life that you wanted to help other people walk through that? No, I really, I think there was an understanding of that because um, 
in that, I saw my mom and dad walk through their own grief. Um, I, my mom and dad really hung on to the, the Bible verse, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for those who love Christ. Hmm. All things, even death. And so, although I saw my mom and dad grieve deeply, I also saw them hang on to Jesus very deeply and strongly. And because of that, um, they were able to get through that. And, and I knew there that there was hope, and I knew that there was hope that people needed to know about. Mm. And um, so it, Jesus was setting the stage at that point for me to do this work someday. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so one of the, this is a big, the, the question I want to ask is a big one, and so I'll see if I can, uh, if I can grab a piece of it and maybe we can dive into this further. Because within, I mean, you guys are familiar with this, whether you grew up in the church or not, there's a side of Christian culture where um, because we have hope, we equate that to being happy or being joyful, or some of these positive emotions that we're talking about. Um, and, and we believe in a God who can do anything, so that's a piece of it too, so God can, can bring healing. Um, we meet in spaces like this where, you know, it, it would be weird to share some of the emotions and stuff that we're experiencing, so some of that stuff we hold back, which creates a perception sometimes that everybody else has things figured out, but I don't have things figured out, you know? I'm like, everybody else is pretending to be okay when they're not okay. So my question for you is this, like, um, we believe in a God who can heal anything, who can raise people from the dead. Why don't we just pray that he heals this stuff? In other words, why do we need Tanya Bassett, trauma counselor, as followers of Jesus, why don't we just ask God to heal this stuff? Because I, I think there are Christians who behave that way, that we should be, we should pray this stuff away. And therefore, when people feel stuck in these rhythms, um, there's a shame that's attached to that because I don't want to admit that because maybe that's a lack of faith or maybe, you know, I don't want to say this out loud in the Christian community. What do we do with that as followers of Jesus? Well, I think there definitely is a spiritual bypass, unfortunately, that sometimes church or other Christians um, get caught up in is when we are going through a really difficult time to say, we just need to pray more, or you just need to hang on to the word more, or you need to go to church more, or you need to talk to your Christian friends more, um, which all of that is very true. Like when we're in the midst of grief, we do need to hang on to the word. We ne do need to go to church and listen to what, what our loved ones are saying to us. We do need to walk together in community. Um, but also, we have to hang on to the other piece of that too, is we're human. And that's how God created us. We're very human. We have all of these different feelings, just like on Inside Out. All of those are very important, and all of those serve a very important need for us. And so if we just say, hey, just pray about it and you'll be okay, we're totally missing what you're going through, Ben. You know, and for me to miss what someone is going through is so invalidating. So to be able to come alongside of someone just like sadness did, I mean, that was a great portrayal. That's what we need because we are in this world in, as a human in a sinful world and we're experiencing things. And to be able to just sit down and pray and be okay, like, that's, that's not going to happen. I mean, look at Jesus. Like, he didn't, you know. Like, he wept dearly and strongly and deeply um, so we do need to be able to move into that space of we are human with these human emotions and we need to do something with those rather than just say pray it away. Yeah, that's so good. I, like the flip side of the story, as I, was, as I was reading this last week, I was thinking about <laughs> the theological implications of if in this moment Jesus would have just been like, you guys, heaven, resurrection, like, don't you, like, like this, this image of Jesus walking around whistling, don't worry, be happy, you know, to all these people who are, um, you know, I mean, trauma is such a broad word, but to people who are experiencing pain and grief, but instead of minimizing those things, I mean, he's, he's literally with people who are diseased that the rest of society won't touch. And in this moment, he goes and he's, his withness with Mary and Martha and, and the, other, the other family and friends here is, is significant. 
You know what I mean? Jesus doesn't minimize their pain in this moment. He enters into it. Um, well, and if he would have just said, hey, guys, don't worry, heaven, like he would have been just like joy. You know, joy was like, hey, you want to go do whatever? In that moment, that's so invalidating to the pain that we're in. And Jesus wasn't about that. <laughs> Jesus wasn't about that, and he still isn't about that. He is right there in our pain and suffering with us validating that it hurts and it's overwhelming and it blows and it's really really difficult um and so to be able to come alongside of someone in that i mean that's how he created us sadness serves a purpose sadness serves a reason that we come alongside of not only each other but ourselves as well yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna shift this just a little bit so um help help us develop a common language right now as to what the word trauma means because that mm -hmm. is it's a big term i mean it encompasses a lot and i think um in my experience too what i perceive as trauma might not be the same as you like individually what you have experienced as trauma and some people you know what what i see them getting stuck in um if, if i'm being honest sometimes to me is like man, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why this point is just, is such a deep rut that you can't get out of it. But yet, on the other hand, I'll hear someone else pour, pour out their story and something that seems very small to them, like that they will blow past something that to me would have been <laughs> a life-altering huge moment. It just, it seems so subjective depending on who you're talking to. So what is, what is trauma and why, why does it seem to impact people so differently? Good question. So trauma is anything that we perceive as a threat to our safety or well-being. Anything that keeps us from moving into our natural fight or flight. Okay, so if something overwhelming is coming at us um, and we can't move into that natural fight or flight, then we get stuck in that. Mm. Um, trauma is really about grief of things that we thought were going to be happening, that we dreamt of happening, things that were halted in the middle and we weren't able to complete. Um, so I think a really important word in that is what you're asking too, Ben, is why is it so different for, for people and why does a small thing is that overwhelming for some people and it isn't for others? And the word perceive is a very big word in this. Trauma is anything that we perceive as a threat to our safety or well-being. And I always like to use the example of a little child. If a little girl is playing in the clothes rack at the mall, we don't have a mall anymore, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So if a little girl is playing in a mall in the clothes rack and, you know, mom is over there shopping and mom knows where she is the whole time. Mom's keeping an eye on her. But then all of a sudden the little girl comes out and she cannot see mother. In that moment, that's overwhelming for that little girl because that girl is dependent upon her mother for her survival. So in that moment is birthed overwhelm for this little girl. And she does not have the ability to move forward and take care of herself. So that can be very traumatic. Um, we look at different situations where, you know, some people are, over, are traumatized, um, that they walk away with trauma versus other people that don't walk away with trauma and maybe very similar situations, maybe siblings. You know, one child is traumatized and the other child isn't. And there's a lot of different things that we look at um, that come into play, and that is, what is the history of the family? Has there been history of trauma and overwhelm within the family? What is the resiliency of this person? What is the age? What is the traumatic event that they went through? What was their support as they were moving through that? Um, so there's a lot of different factors that play into if we are traumatized or if we are not. Because if we really have a good community or a good support person, a sibling, you know, if they have a really good teacher that's really supportive for them and is a safe person for them versus another sibling who doesn't have that, that's when one sibling might be traumatized 
because of the events at home and the other person isn't. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you're in the room with a group of 18 to 23 year olds, okay? I mean, this is who we are, not, not myself, not included in that number. Um, by the way, Joe and I went to the mall last week just because this was, that was, you guys were with us on our anniversary date here a week ago, but we went out later in the week and we were just kind of like wandering around town trying to figure out things to do, and we went to the defunct mall just to walk around. It was one of the most depressing things I've done in a very long time. We had fun, but we were the only two people in the mall, okay? We went to the arcade. Um, but this, this group, 18 to 23-year-olds, um, this is the age where, you guys may not know this about yourselves, but a lot of um, the struggles with depression and anxiety, um, these symptoms start to show in the age range that you're in. And I, I think, my experience in campus ministry, and I, again, you can shut me up if you think otherwise, but my experience has been a lot of that is because you, you are for the very first time coming out of what has been normal for you and, and you start to ask questions about some of those things that you didn't ask questions about before because your relationship with your parents just was what it was. You never knew anything different. And even if you knew it was broken, you didn't know how. Or maybe you didn't have the context to understand some of the pain that you experienced in real time. And so a lot of you begin asking these questions, and it opens doors that you didn't know that you were opening or pain that you might not have realized was fully there or you realized this experience that you had, you actually have been carrying with you in a way that you didn't fully understand. And so, um, again, some of you may not label that, that trauma. It doesn't really matter what you, what you label it, but these, these questions of why do I feel this way? How do I understand myself? How do I understand my experience? You're in a different place asking these questions at the age that you're at now than you were five years ago. It's a very, very different process and you're developing who you are as a person and understanding who you are with the Lord. So the question I have for you in that is, um, as these things come bubbling out, you know, these, uh, and and again, I'm not just speaking of trauma, all these different understandings of who I am and where I've come from, um, why is it important for us to process these? And and sub-question, why is it important that the Lord is a part of that? that process of us understanding who we are and pain and grief and joy and all of that tied together. That's a really vague and general question, so I'll let you mm-hmm. make that specific. Okay. Um, so God beautifully created us um, and our bodies to be able to move through life and to move through um, all these different emotions And so when we go through an event, we really like to have completion. And so we have this activation. We like to be able to have this release. So like if, if, you know, if we're having fun here tonight and somebody wins $100, we have this activation, which gets us all excited. Um, We have this release where everyone claps and then the person who won, won the $100 says, hey, I'm gonna give everybody a piece of this, okay? And then we have this release. And it's a beautiful cycle that we are able to go through. What happens in life when we get stuck, um, when something is overwhelming or we can't quite understand or we don't have the ability to process it or we don't have anyone to process it with, what happens is there is this activation and um, our body starts to feel all of that activation. And we need to be able then to release that. And so if I get really scared or if I get really excited or really sad, um, my central nervous system ramps me up to be able to maneuver through those situations. But if I don't have that release in a way that's really healthy, what happens, it gets stuck in my body, okay? Mm -hmm. And so that overwhelm, that sadness, that grief, that anger, that anxiety, it just gets stuck in here and it gets pushed really down deep inside. So we tend to think, you know what, I'm feeling fine, I done dealt with that, it's pushed far away from me, I'm good to go. And in all reality, when we take that and just kind of pocket it over here or put it in a little box and pretend like it's not bothering us, the reality is, is it doesn't go anywhere. Um, 
And the reality is it continues to play out inside of us over and over and over again. And so we find ways to deal with that. We find ways of maybe keeping busy. We find ways of maybe eating or watching pornography or doing a lot of shopping or um, exercising a lot. We find ways to keep it pushed down and keep it at bay. And um, the reality, like I said, is it doesn't go anywhere. And now the thing that we use to tuck it down is really causing us a lot more overwhelm and stress on top of what we've already experienced. So it is really important to be able to find a space, a person, um, an activity, whatever that may be for you guys, to be able to have a healthy release in that. God created our bodies to be able to release that stuff and not have to carry it. And God created all of these different emotions for us to be able to move through that and mm -hmm. not get stuck inside of us. So he really is wanting us to be able to make these earthly connections with a therapist, with a friend, with a pastor, whatever that may be. But also, too, um, we have to use that in a really holistic way. And if we just have one piece of that, um, it isn't really going to work. And so to be able to have our faith combined with someone who is able to kind of walk through this with us and journey alongside of us is going to be really important because he created us to be connected. He created us to be together as a herd, as a tribe, whatever you want to say, a community. And we are not meant to walk through this alone. I think about, you know, in Acts 7, when Stephen was stoned, and he was a, din a, dyn a dynamic supporter of Jesus. And this overwhelming thing happened to him, and all those people around him saw that. And so in Acts 8, they talk about two very important things that happened. It says that they buried him, which was an example of finality and loss. Okay, so they shared in that, that finality and loss that they went through. And in the second part of that was they grieved deeply together. And so there has to be this connectedness that we have with other people that we can move through the loss of what we've experienced and being able to grieve through what that was in a really healthy way. Mm. That's so good. Thank you for saying that. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I've realized um, uh, about myself, and I, for those of you, there were a, a handful of you who came to like the, the spiritual disciplines workshop thing we did a few weeks ago, but there was a process in my life, um, at an old spiritual discipline called the examine, which has been around since like the 1600s, but it's, it's just like a six or seven minute prayer and I realized, I, I tried this, this prayer that's, I think it was Ignatius, St. Ignatius developed. Um, and a lot of this, this discipline is just about thinking back through your day and reflecting and understand. Like, I, I just did not have a process in my life before I had kind of gone through the spiritual discipline of connecting what I was feeling and what had happened to me. And that's all, the, that's all this prayer that you walk through is, is this, you reflect on what's happened to me in the last 24 hours. What emotion am I carrying into this space? God, help me understand this right now. Help me connect the dots on these two things. Oh, I'm feeling frustrated. And then you walk back through the last day and you realize there's actually some connecting points here that bring me here. God, what do I do with this emotion? How do I understand it? Um, I'm realizing, I mean, I know it's true for me. I know it's especially true for you guys. Your generation is not uh, been encouraged, this is a soft way of saying it, to understand self-reflection. You've been robbed of every spare moment you had. Um, previous generations were t so bored they had to do it. <laughs> you know, I say that in jest, but there is some truth to that matter where all of the dead time for all of us has been removed. You have the ability to be distracted all the time. And so, so now I have no choice. Like the only way that that self-reflection with the Lord would happen is if it's intentional, if I seek that space out to say, hey, God, help me understand what I'm feeling and what that means. 
Um, and I love you bringing up the idea that that happens in community, too. Other people speak that into us. Um, so knowing that God has given us each other, I mean, like, we, we have friends that we can lean on. We have wise mentors around us. We, I mean, we should have those things. Um, we're not supposed to live life in isolation. Um, how do I know when, when I should be talking to someone uh, who's got some professional training? Or, or if I'm, I'm in a friendship and somebody's... Um, you get, I, I want you guys to hear this. You are great support structures for each other. Like somebody confesses something to you, it, your response should not be, you should see a counselor, okay? <laughs> like that's not... There are some things that you can be a wonderful support structure for, but there is a place at which somebody speaks something to you where you're like, I probably shouldn't be the only person that this person is talking to. How do we know when we've hit that line? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a great point. And I, I would say as the person who's listening, um, if it is feeling overwhelming to you, if it is like re-traumatizing to you, hearing what is going on with your friend, um, if you feel like um, they are needing more than what you can give, if you feel like you are carrying their stuff and you can't get rid of that, um, then it is important that you talk to them about going and seeking some additional support. It doesn't mean that you don't want to journey alongside of them by any means. It's a really loving thing to say to your friend, hey, I think you need to go talk to someone else in addition to having a friend like I am for you. Um, but definitely give them that encouragement. Um, and I would also, as, as the person who is maybe depressed or anxious or overwhelmed, um, knowing that we can't just have one friend that we spill all of this on to. Um, that one friend is amazing, and we are very grateful for that one friend, but it is a lot for one person to carry when we are going through a lot of overwhelm. And so to be able to also, from your perspective, see that, hey, maybe I need to pull someone else in. Mm -hmm. um, and if your friend or if... Um, you know, your encounter leader um, or if a family member is saying, hey, why don't you go talk to somebody else? I think it's important to listen to that because if you're getting that message from more than one person, it's really something to really take into um, consideration. Awesome. All right, I have a question that wasn't on the list that I emailed you that I just thought of. You ready for this? Okay. Um, because you have, you have such a unique perspective because of the training that you have, but as a devoted follower of Jesus, I mean, like those, holding those two things together, what, is, what does self-care look like for this generation? I mean, like, what, I don't know if habits is the right word, but what do you, when you see that both as a, um, as a counselor and also as a Jesus follower, what are things that you'd be like, I wish this group knew this about how to take care of themselves spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, mm -hmm. human. Well, I think that's a really interesting uh, a topic these days because I think our, our worldly view right now is very much into themselves. Um, it is all about self, and um, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with a lot of other people. And... So when we say self-care, sometimes we get confused on what that looks like, especially as a follower of Jesus. And so being mindful that if I am doing some really awesome self-care, that doesn't mean that I'm selfish. It doesn't mean that I'm self-centered. It doesn't mean that I'm self-focused. Um, and so there is a difference. And so self-care really looks like holistic, you know, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Um, and so you're, you're, what I would advise you to do is to be able to get movement in your body, okay? So whether you're walking, whether you're working out, um, but our body needs movement. Our body is taking on stress every day, all day long, and especially in the world that we're living in now, um, we need to be able to release that stress. Um, so get the body moving. I'm not saying you have to go to the gym and exercise, but just move the body. 
Um, spiritually, we need to be fed. And so whether we're going to church, whether we're going to small groups, whether we're, we're coming to encounter, like we need to be fed. Our spirit needs to be fed. Um, our body also needs to be fed well, so balanced eating. And that's hard as a college student. Um, but I was just talking with my client the other day. She said, I've decided that if it's 7, I'm going to check in at 7 p.m., and if I haven't eaten yet, I'm going to eat something. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, checking in at 7 p.m. is way too late to decide if you need to eat right now. And so making sure that you're eating well, because once again, the body is going through a lot. Um, you're putting a lot on the body, and so the body needs energy to be able to maneuver through this life that you're in right now. Um, and emotional needs, like we need to be able to take care of the emotions that we are having. So whether that can be met through family and friends, um, or whether you need to grab onto a counselor, um, a pastor, to be able to walk through some of those things, um, that is gonna be another route of self-care. So those are things that um, I would really encourage you guys to do. Mm. All right. Wide open, if you can say anything to a group of college students sitting in a room, what encouragement do you have for them? Just looking for Tanya truth bombs. Well, I would say that you, number one, I, I am amazed at how many people are here, and I'm very excited that you are here and showing your love for Jesus and showing your love for everyone else that is in this room. So I, uh, I love that. Um, but to give you a word of advice, I would just say um, to listen to your body. Like God created us so beautifully and uniquely, and everything that we need to maneuver and navigate in this world is within us. Every single thing. And so listen to your body, listen to your gut. You know, when things are feeling overwhelming, when things are difficult, um, when you feel like you are alone or feel like you need help um, or feel like you need to celebrate, um, make sure and make time for that uh, because no one else is going to do that for you or can do that for you. And so listen, listen to yourself um, because, once again, God created you and he, you have everything you need inside of you that's going to send you the message what you need. Mm. Thank you so much. Thanks for that. Um, you, you guys might have heard me say this before, but as followers of Jesus, I mean, as Christians, we, when, we, when we think about our faith in God and what Scripture teaches us, um, Sometimes you'll hear this question asked of, are human beings good or are they bad? As if this is a binary switch that, that we're asking. Um, faith in Christ is way more complex than that binary answer because the answer is that I am created in the image of God according to Genesis 1, that I look like him. I mean, I already talked about it. I'm, I'm emotional the way God is emotional. He has emotions. He expresses himself. I'm creative the way God is creative. I can have wisdom the way God is wise. I can innovate because my God can innovate. He's baked all these things into me, into, into you. We're made like him, sons and daughters of the king. Each of us a unique expression of that. We're wonderfully made, fearfully and wonderfully made. And Genesis 3, we are fractured, flawed, broken down to our DNA. And those two things are both true together. And it's such a weird thing in our faith to believe those things together. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made like my father, but fractured and not yet fully remade. And my emotions fall into that too, you guys. Beautiful like him, but fractured in this lifetime. They won't be forever. They'll be redeemed and restored. We talked about that at Fall Retreat, but not yet. And so in this lifetime, we're helping each other toward that destination, that restoration, that redeeming. We catch pieces of it here. So that work that God can do in someone else's life, like I want to tell you tonight, part of the reason I think why God stays with us through the pain and with us in the grief is also to coach us on how to do that with each other. 
We are a part of each other's redemption stories. God uses us with each other in that way. He gifts us that way. Tanya, uh, I mean, I, she told me before this, she, she came out of three back-to-back intensives, which is three days each. So she's coming fresh out of a restoration process, like trying to bring restoration and redemption into people's lives. But what I want to give you the freedom to hear tonight and to understand is that the promise that God gives us isn't immediate rescue from all of that. And as a matter of fact, I think there's an immature thing in us sometimes that, you know, we hear that pain come out and we're like, pray it away in the name of Jesus, and it's gone. And it's like, it is because you turn and you ran the other direction. And don't hear the wrong thing tonight. God can and sometimes does just divinely and miraculously walk in and create healing in spaces. He can and does still to this day do that. But sometimes, you guys, he chooses to work in a very different way through other people, through counseling, through his, the ministry, let's call it the ministry of witness tonight. What Jesus did in the lives of Martha and Mary when Lazarus was dead and gone. There's a ministry of witness that Jesus had that we should have with each other and that we know that our Savior is coming right alongside with us too. And I think if we ignore that, we miss something beautiful. I think if we just pretend to be happy, we actually are, we're creating, I think the trauma's there. It's just a question of when. We've just hit the delay button for a little while. And so tonight, I want to pray a prayer together just to close that accepts all of those things instead of trying to forcing them into to the black and white binary reality that's easier for us to accept the messiness of John eleven thirty five of Jesus weeping with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that on a campus where there is sadness and grief and pain, uh, that there is also love and joy and celebration and laughter and that you're the God of all of it, that you see and understand and you're with us in it. Um, There's a lot of theological depth to those two words, Christ. Thank you that you wept. Uh, Thank you that you feel. Thank you that you came alongside. Thank you for the promise in Philippians 2, Jesus, that you lowered yourself to taking on human likeness. Thank you for the promise in Hebrews that you can sympathize with us in our weakness, that you can empathize with us and understand what we're going through. And so I pray that you'd help us to leave the kindergarten teachings behind and dive into a deeper kind of trust with you, to know you're with us in the pain, um, to know that you truly are Emmanuel. And we're grateful tonight, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.